Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're exploring the theme of food security and discussing the themes outlined in a recent UBS Global Wealth Management CIO Outlook that focuses on five key debates that will shape the agriculture sector through the rest of 2022 and on into next year. With us today on the show, we have two of the authors of the piece who will unpack some of the complexities for us, from the impact of conflict in Ukraine to government intervention in markets, and from high energy prices and labour issues through to the profound challenge posed by climate change. We start with Wayne Gordon, Senior Cross-Asset and Commodities Strategist in the UBS Chief Investment Office. Wayne Gordon, welcome back to the programme. First up, remind us what's been happening to global food prices. We have to start, I guess, with the Ukraine conflict. That's been the key issue shaping the space, right? Look, it has been. I think there's a couple of key things, though, that we can talk about over the last probably 12 months. We have to remember that agricultural prices had already started to rise prior to the war in Ukraine. And that was largely on the back of what had been a couple of years of a pretty severe La Nina event. And La Nina events tend to bring about drier conditions in the mid to lower part of the United States. So it has a pretty significant impact on hard wheat production in particular, and also in the southern parts of Brazil and northern parts of Argentina. So we also saw pretty market impacts on the production of corn and soybeans. I think that the key thing, though, if you if you want to box all of this together, including the uh, logistical disruptions and the on-the-ground disruptions that we're currently experiencing in Ukraine, when you put it all together, it gives you a, a fairly, I suppose, general picture of the vulnerabilities that we have in global food supply chains. And between COVID-19 and the, the, the swing back to more food consumption at home, a greater demand for basic staples. And then you extend that into obviously the rising volatility in many of these sort of global weather phenomena. You add on top of that, the issues that we've just discussed with respect to the war in Ukraine, you've clearly put a lot of pressure on the global food supply chain. And that's then led to some countries facing uh, acute food insecurity, and in particular, those countries were exposed to importing a lot of their uh, needs from Ukraine, as well as those countries which have been exposed to very difficult conditions for domestic production, which have also led to to some shortages uh, here and there. Wayne, next up, I want to look at how you and your colleagues see both you know, the rest of this year, H222, and then into 23, in terms of what will be impacting markets. I guess it's fair to say we expect more supply-side dislocations on the way. In the piece, what I thought was interesting is you frame it via these kind of five key debates. And I wonder if you could sort of talk us through some of those in terms of what's going to be having the most impact on, the, on this space. Yes. So I think the, the, the key thing to recognise in the here and now is that Agricultural prices have actually corrected quite a bit, and they have corrected on the hope that there can be some solution determined between the United Nations, Ukraine, Russia, 
and one key go-between being Turkey. And so very recently, there has been some discussions to allow or begin to allow some exports of Ukrainian grains uh, to be leaving those key ports on the Black Sea, which are the predominant vehicle for Ukrainian exports um, normally. Because we have to remember that, yes, Ukraine can export some grain over land to those surrounding countries, but that comes at a very high cost. So one of the key elements will be how quickly those supplies, if indeed this agreement manages to be signed, and if in that process what is agreed to is lived up to, and you begin to see some Ukrainian grain uh, come to market. That will uh, alleviate some of, and I say some of, the tension that we currently see in global food supply and demand. Having said that, at this point in time, my view is that the, the decline in prices we've seen over a very short period of time, over the last couple of weeks, largely reflects a business as usual situation going forward over the next six to 12 months. And I think the fundamentals are far a long way from that. Now, the reasons I believe the fundamentals are a long way from that situation is because while yes, we might get some additional supplies of grain from the Ukraine, but nonetheless, there are still significant risks attached to those key ports uh, because the conflict is ongoing currently in Ukraine. Not only that, but also many farmers have, have lost parts of their infrastructure networks, uh, have lost some productivity from crops even this year. And of course, grain prices internally in the Ukraine are much lower than what they are on a global basis. So unfortunately for many Ukrainian farmers, uh, the cost of production are really elevated and the prices they receive in some cases simply do not cover those costs. So that will have carryover impacts as we go into the next year, being the 2023-24 season, which can continue to have uh, sort of uh, flows into other markets who are pretty reliant on receiving that grain. Now, the other point I would make is around weather conditions. So currently, not only are prices reflecting what would be uh, a more business-as-usual situation in uh, the logistics of Ukrainian grain, but at the same time, they're also reflecting a very large crop in Russia. Now, Russia is most likely going to produce a uh, record uh, wheat crop this year, and the key constraint on Russia exporting more wheat is these sort of self-imposed sanctions by many logistics operators because they simply don't want to have the risk of having vessels in the Black Sea. So therefore, it has curtailed uh, some Russian exports of grains. And then secondly, there is the capacity constraints that Russia faces on a more general basis. So Russia, historically, has not exported any more than about 41.5, 42 million tonnes of wheat to the global market. And so we think that that is around about the capacity of Russia. So in that context, the market has responded to the upward revision of production expectations 
But at the same time, there are constraints to Russia increasing exports to the world. And so therefore, we think those upgrades to production have very limited impacts, at least in the short term, on overall global balance sheets. The third point I would make is that we potentially could face a third La Nina event in a row. And what we observe currently in the forecast is there has been a moderation of that, that weather event over the last recent weeks. But when we look at the modelling, it shows that there is a high risk that this event could return as we go into the back end of this year. More from Wayne in a moment. But now let's get a quick check-in with Giovanni Stanovo, Commodity Analyst in the CIO of UBS Global Wealth Management. Giovanni is going to talk a little bit about energy prices and also maybe briefly to look at some individual sector-specific developments for the second half. Giovanni, good to have you back on the show also. Tell us a bit about how energy prices shape this space. If we look at agriculture, food production, just remind us why energy prices are so germane to this uh, discussion. So energy in a global context uh, is an important element to to run the the economy, but it also has an impact on our daily activities. So, for example, in in the agricultural space, it's an important element for farmers. They use tractors to move around and with higher energy prices also that has an impact on on their movements of tractors and impacts uh, at the end their production costs for for producing agriculture goods the other element also impacting the agriculture complex is fertilizer which is interlinked with natural gas prices because you need natural gas to produce fertilizer essentially what happened is here, we have also seen a strong increase for natural gas prices, which also translate in higher input costs for the farmer. And at the end of the day, if the farmer needs to pay more the goods uh, that he purchases, at the end of the day, he will pass through these costs to the end consumer. That has also an impact on food prices. Yeah, well, let me ask you about certain specifics. If we look at some individual sectors, one interesting one, of course, is sugar. And it's interesting, I suppose, because, again, it has there's, there's layers of complexity, aren't there? If we look at sugar, it's not just simply a question of looking at a commodity and a commodity price and pressures on that. There are all these other complexities and layers that make it a particularly interesting area. Yes, um, th- there is always uh, this interlink, uh, what you can do with sugarcane, one of the form you create sugar with the additional element of a sugar beet. Essentially, if, if you have a sugar cane, you can divert it rather on the one hand to produce ethanol, or the other way is to produce the classical sugar. And essentially what drives uh, the decision, what to do is the relative price. If you see a strong move on oil product prices, so gasoline, for example, then it also makes it more attractive to produce more ethanol, which you blend with gasoline. And that is also impacting sugar prices. So stronger crude prices or gasoline prices mean there is less sugar cane available for the production of classical sugar. And therefore, there is this positive correlation between the two commodities. Giovanni Stanovo. 
Well, let's cross back to Wayne now. Wayne Gordon, just before we go, what does all of this mean for investors? How can they best position? It's always an important question. Are there opportunities, perhaps tapping into some longer term secular themes that are attractive, for example, in food security? That's an excellent question. And I think there's a couple of there's a couple of channels in which people can take a look at this particular thematic. I think it's it's an incredibly relevant thematic because we know that the population globally continues to rise. We know that as many countries become wealthier through that process, what will happen is that they will further focus on the consumption of protein. We're seeing this play out very much in, in China in particular, where their appetite for imported beef has continued to accelerate even through the COVID period. And of course, seed grains is a large proportion of the grains that are consumed on a global basis now through the production of livestock. Now, there's another angle to this, I guess, is that we talked just about the impacts of climate change and the impacts on yield yield variability, et cetera. And this is where it's imperative, particularly as we, we look to try and cap emissions over the next sort of 30, uh, 40 years. As we look to try and cap emissions pretty significantly over that period, of course, the IPCC point out to us that there has already been damage done and that damage will actually cause additional climate variability as well. So not only do we have to focus on certain segments that alleviate some of the pressure on areas like protein and alternative proteins, plant-based proteins are going to be extremely important. And the innovations in that particular area uh, with respect to food and food services is one avenue for this. The other avenue is adaptation. And this is not something that we focus on a lot. And I don't think we focus enough on adaptation from an investor standpoint. But adaptation such as seeds of key crops that can produce yields in a more uh, stable way, even though we have increased weather volatility as an example, or increased soil salinity as another example, or reduced soil fertility. If we, we need to be looking at technology that can help us maintain yields and help us continue to lift yields so that even the most vulnerable in the world who have the lowest level of food security have access to this technology. And I think that's really important. So those segments which help improve adaptation to what is almost guaranteed to be a world where we have to face greater weather volatility going forward. We need to invest in those areas while at the same time looking at things that are a little bit more fancy, such as the alternative protein space, to alleviate that pressure on the overall consumption of additional protein. So I think there's, a, there's these sort of different channels which people can look at. But my key message would be to make sure or ensure that you can withstand the volatility, particularly in the equity markets that we've seen of late. It is extremely important that people think along the supply chain. 
So they don't just invest in one particular area of the supply chain. They look along the supply chain to where they can make perhaps smaller investments, but be more diversified along that supply chain. And that is probably where you will experience the least volatility from a portfolio perspective, but also be able to continue to hold investments in various segments over the longer term. So I think those things are actually key. Think about the different elements of addressing food security, climate change, et cetera, water security, et cetera, and then focus just as much on adaptation as you do on things like alternative proteins and so forth, and then invest along the supply chain. And to me, they are the three key avenues people should follow. Wayne Gordon. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts. And you can discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. That's The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.